joy. We hear it and we think of happiness or laughter, but true joy far outweighs any fleeting emotions. Like a beautiful garment, joy is a response that we clothe ourselves with. And at this time of year, it's our heart's cry as we bear witness again to the birth of the Savior. And let's face it, there's not a person here who couldn't use a little more joy these days. So you're invited into that quality of joy, whether your life is full of happiness or not. It's an invitation for every person, and it's here now, because Jesus is here now. This is joy. Welcome to Christmas. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are filled with gratitude this morning. We're filled with joy at the sense that you have come to be with us. You have not left us. You've not abandoned us, but you've come. And this morning, Father, I can't help but think that each one of us were actually designed with a manger-sized part of our heart that's perfectly fitted to the arrival of your Son. Father, this morning I pray that you'll fill us with a sense of your glory and give us a sense of what it is you're doing among us and help us to become more like your Son, full of joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome here, everyone. My name is Pastor James. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and welcome if you're joining us online. It's so good to be here. Um, the this uh, Advent season, we walk through four themes, four candles, and this is the joy um, moment. So I want you to just have a look at the screen behind me. I wonder when the last time is that you really experienced joy. When is the last time you really experienced a sense of joy? I know the last time for, for me, Caroline and I were on vacation and we were swimming in the ocean together and the waves were really high that day and because it had rained the night before, all that swelling and all that rain had caused the waves or the water to become really murky and cloudy. And you really couldn't see more than a few inches below the surface. And there turned out to be a guy who was snorkeling just a few feet from us, and that made me confused because the water was too cloudy to see anything. So I said to him when he came up out of the water, I said, are you seeing anything today? And it turned out that he was looking for his sunglasses because in the waves, the waves had crashed over him and his sunglasses had come off and they sunk to the bottom of the ocean. And it wasn't 15 minutes I, I kid you not, it wasn't 15 minutes later that my ring slipped off my ring finger, which is crazy. I don't think that's ever happened, but you know, the cold ocean, I don't know. Anyway, it's not that my ring is really priceless or expensive. In fact, it's, it's just made of tungsten and wood, but it's unique and it's special to me. So when my ring tumbled down to the bottom of the ocean, I was really disappointed now, 
my first impulse was maybe if I just stand put as much as I can and feel around with my toes, I'll be able to find my ring. And Caroline and I tried to do this, she tried to do the same thing. So here we were, kind of getting, you know, buoyed up by the waves, feeling around with our toes. And then all of a sudden, Caroline said to me, I think I feel something under my foot. So I thought, wow, could it be? So I quickly dove down and I grabbed a handful of sand from under her left foot and I came up and guess what? When I came up from my dive, I looked in my hand and there in the palm of my hand was my ring. It's actually this ring, yeah. I was excited, I was joyful. I was filled with a sense of delight, I couldn't believe it. Actually felt like one of those moments where we were searching for a needle in, in a haystack. But at that moment, I was filled with joy. When is the last time you've experienced joy in your life? We're now officially on the third week of Advent, and the emphasis for this week is joy. So the readings today come from new, two New Testament books, and I want to look at those together. Could I invite you please to stand right now for the reading of the word? The first reading comes from Revelation chapter 21, verses five to seven. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. And from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 15 to 20, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Thank you. You can be seated. These two scriptures are filled with joy. The first one tells us about a better world and a better future that will eventually break into our midst once and for all. It's a world where our deepest longings will be quenched. And those who belong to God will finally inherit the kingdom. The second tells how some simple shepherds race off to find the one who's been promised. And upon seeing the baby Jesus, they can't do, they can't help but break out in praise, rejoicing about what they'd seen and what they'd heard. What exactly is joy? In everyday life, I think most of us can identify joy as a feeling or an action. As a feeling, it's described as a feeling of delight or happiness. As an action, a verb, it's considered the practice of rejoicing. And joy and rejoicing show up in the Bible more than 400 times. Most of these show up in the New Testament, which is why people like James Denny have called the New Testament the most exhilarating, buoyant, and joyful book in the world. And our reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, which mentions joy more than the other three Gospels, 
So for that reason, it's been affectionately coined the gospel of joy. This morning, I wanna say three, three, three main things about joy. First, I wanna look a little deeper into the whole question or feeling the concept of joy, especially it's, as it's described in scripture. Next, I wanna talk about how joy is able to strengthen and to sustain us. And then finally, I wanna comment on the connection between joy and gratitude, because there's a really important one. So first, joy in the scriptures is more than a feeling. You may know this, we're all familiar with joy as a feeling, and it is a feeling. I felt joy when I recovered my ring. But did you know that the writers of scripture describe joy as something that's much more than a feeling? In scripture, joy is described as a state or an attitude. It's the kind of thing that doesn't depend at all upon circumstances. Biblical joy is a disposition that settles deep down into your bones and it becomes part of who you are and the way you see the world. This deeper abiding sense of joy is something that lasts and it lingers. Maybe it helps to think about cooking. All of us know the difference that a little bit of seasoning can make to a dish. Steak, for example, tastes better when you sprinkle a little bit of salt or seasoning. But when you marinate something, something actually seeps into, soaks into, and steeps in the flavor. And when that marinade penetrates the core of the steak, the taste goes beyond just anything superficial. It lasts and it lingers. It goes right into the meat itself. Now, the same kind of thing can happen to us. We can experience joy. Of course, the spice of life can bring moments of joy to our life. But if your soul gets soaked in joy, you can begin to absorb joy. And you can begin to experience more than just a feeling. You can experience a deeper and a lasting sense of joy. And that kind of joy transcends any one moment. That's the kind of joy that I'm thinking about here. It's not fleeting, it's not momentary. It's the kind of joy that becomes part of who we are. The British writer C.S. Lewis had a great picture for how this happens. Here's what he said. If you wanna get warm, you must stand near fire. If you wanna be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, you need to get close to or into the thing that has joy. They are a great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality. If you're close to it, the spray will wet you. If you are not, you will remain dry. It's interesting because essentially what Lewis is saying here is that if you want to develop joy in your life, you need to get close to the thing that brings you joy. And for Christians, that comes with spending time in the presence of the Trinity, trusting the Father, learning from the Son, and opening yourself up to the work of the Holy Spirit. The result of all that becomes what we call in Scripture the fruit of the Spirit, and joy is one of those. And joy begins to grow in your life like apples grow on trees. That's the way it happens. When your soul is marinated in the presence of God, joy begins to emerge. And it's not just a temporary feeling, but it's also just a general disposition or an attitude. And people who know this kind of joy, I think, can say without being hypocritical that they have learned the secret of being content in any situation. And they can, even when they're struggling or suffering, they can still, what Paul says in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord 
always. So that's the first thing I wanted to say about joy in the scriptures. It describes something that is much, much more than just a feeling. Second, though, the joy of the Lord gives us strength. There is a profound verse in the book of Nehemiah that says that. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It's in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. The joy of the Lord mentioned here is the joy the people of God experience as a result of knowing who God is, remembering what he's done, listening to what he says, and receiving what he gives. Let me read those for you again. The joy of the Lord in Nehemiah 8, as it's described as a result of knowing who God is, remembering what he's done, listening to what he says, and receiving what he gives. And the word strength mentioned in that verse in Nehemiah comes from the same Hebrew word that fortress comes from. So put together, the expression, the joy of the Lord is our strength, means something like this. Based on who God is and what he's done and what he said and what he gives, the people of God can always turn to God and be safe. They can turn to God for strength and protection. Now, there have been times in my life, and I'm sure yours too, when things have not gone well. That stuff happens. Stuff just piles up sometimes around us, and we get hit with one or two or three things all at once. And you become disoriented, and you feel vulnerable. In fact, um, I'm going through one of those times right now in my life. Yet in those moments of confusion, I've still sensed deep down in my soul a level of joy, a joy that actually sustains me, a joy that gives me the strength to carry on, a a joy that tells me you can trust God even in this. That same joy is the, um, the thing that gave Jesus himself the strength to go to the cross. Hebrews 12, 2 says that Jesus, for the sake of the joy that was set before, before him, endured the cross, disregarded its shame, and took his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. So here's Jesus with the finish line in view. He ignores all the distractions around him and the suffering that lay ahead of him and the, and the crucifixion that's to come, and he endures it because he knew a great reward was coming to him and to the people of God. And that gave him great joy. He didn't look at earthly discomforts. He didn't get worried about those obstacles around him. He kept his eyes on spiritual, invisible realities. In moments like that, joy can give us energy and it can sustain us. But the, also, the, the opposite's also true. A lack of joy in our life can leave us weak and anemic. C.S. Lewis, who I mentioned just a few minutes ago, also had some profound insights here. He wrote a book back in 1942. Some of you might have read it called The Screwtape Letters. And in this book, he imagines a senior demon whose name is Screwtape writing letters to his nephew and his junior demon who's called Wormwood. And in the book, Screwtape writes 31 letters to Wormwood. And in them, he outlines all kinds kinds of ways that they can undermine God and they can harm the people of God. And at one point, when they're discussing how to destroy this person's life, they call him the patient, the subject of joy comes up, and Screwtape says this to his underling, Wormwood. So remember, as I quote this, Lewis is pretending a senior demon is writing a junior demon, okay? And what they say, what they think is bad, actually, we would think is good. So here's what Screwtape says to Wormwood. Keep the patient away from joy. We don't understand it. We've not been able to produce it. We know that it accompanies music and that it happens in heaven and that bad things happen. Joy is their engine. It's a very simple formula. 
When they're joyless, they're useless. Just think about that. When they're joyless, they're useless. And that's often true. If we have no joy, we're weakened, we're anemic. The idea that our life is enhanced by joy is actually backed up by science. Doctors and psychologists have long known that positive effects of joy on our life and negative effects if we don't have joy in our lives. Regular experiences of joy, uh, psychologists say, can make us more resilient. They can actually boost our immune system. They can help us fight stress and they can promote a longer life. So joy is a really valuable, fulfilling part of life and not having joy can affect it in really negative ways. And that leads me to my third and final thought about joy. So just to review then, joy is more than a feeling. And second, joy gives us strength, but there's something, one other thing I wanna mention about joy and it's about its relationship with gratitude. In the gospel passage today, in response to the shepherds uh, being encountered by the angels, they rush off and they go and find the baby Jesus. And as they return, they return, it says, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they'd heard and seen. That actually is the way joy is. You can't contain it. It bursts out of our seams in one way or another. It flows out into the world around us. There are a number of times when angels show up in the scene in the Bible. Think of the different times actually in the Christmas story where that happens. The angel was sent to Zechariah, who was John the Baptist's father. The angel was sent to Mary. The angel was sent to Joseph. Here the angel and the choir of angels are sent to the shepherds. So all through there, these shepherds come. And what, I'm, um, what I find kind of amazing is that the shepherds come to everyday, ordinary people. Not the people who we would choose. Like we would probably, if we had an important message, go to Caesar. Or we'd go to the most important religious leaders of the time. But that's not what happens here. In this case, the angels go to simple everyday laborers working the midnight shift in the fields. And God has a way of doing that all through scripture. He breaks in in the most unlikely ways in everyday ways to ordinary people like us and we hear good news of great joy. Now we're not always grateful. Fyodor Dostoevsky once said of humanity, if humans are not stupid, they're monstrously ungrateful. Phenomenally ungrateful, he said. I believe the best definition of man, Dostoevsky said, is the ungrateful biped, the ungrateful biped. Maybe that's because we see ourselves as sufficient. We have enough. We don't really see ourselves in need of anything. But the people that went before us, great men and women of God, always understood the connection between God's, God's goodness and our gratitude. G.K. Chesterton, for example, once made this comment. The worst moment for an atheist is when he's genuinely thankful but has no one ultimately to thank. In response to this, Chesterton quipped, if my children wake up on Christmas morning and I have something, I have someone to thank, sorry, for putting candy in their stocking, have I no one to thank for putting two feet into mine? Joy can't help us to be, but to be grateful and gratitude has a way of just oozing out. Practicing gratitude and joy in our lives, those two are deeply connected. Uh, psychologist Brené Brown, after 12 years of research, commented on this. I interviewed people for 12 years. I did this interview, and in every single case, a person who would describe themselves as joyful always practiced gratitude. After 12 years of research, now we may say, well, duh, but I mean, 12 years of asking people what makes them joyful, every one of them was a practitioner of, great, of gratitude. 
In the late uh, 1980s, I had the chance to visit uh, Paris, and while I was there, I went to Notre Dame Cathedral. And that's a church that's famous, as you probably know, for many different things. One of those things is its huge stained glass windows. They're known as the rose windows. These windows actually cover 1,100 square feet in the cathedral, so think of that, that's huge. And the idea in, in each of those, um, at the center of each of those windows is a picture of Jesus. So you can imagine these enormous windows and at the center is a picture of Jesus. And circling Jesus are all these different scenes from religious stories. And one of the things that is in this large wheel is something that people have coined the wheel of fortune, okay? Before the show came along, you had the wheel of fortune in Paris, France. The wheel of fortune shows Jesus at the center and then around Jesus in this wheel are people who are all in all kinds of situations in life at the top of the wheel is a king who's reigning. But then as the wheel turns, the king loses his crown. And then eventually he becomes a beggar until the wheel turns and someone starts climbing the ladder again. And I thought about that and you thought, that's often the way our life is. It's often the way we find ourselves in different situations in life. Sometimes things are going really well and sometimes we're on a downward slide. But the key idea in this wheel of fortune is that Christ is at the center of the wheel. He's steady there, he's unflinching, he's unchanging. And it represents the place of contact with God which we can have that steadies us and grounds us. It's the place where even if we're experiencing change, sometimes weekly change on the rim of the wheel, we can choose not to live on the rim and be thrown off or be threatened to be thrown off, and instead we can choose to live in Christ and with Christ at the center of the wheel. At the center of the wheel is a place of security and true joy. Then no matter what comes, you can cling to Jesus and find the kind of joy we've been talking about this morning. And, not on, and, and, and if you're not on the rim, then you're not threatened to be thrown off. You're held by the center. Just think, for example, if you've got a bucket on a rope and you're swinging it. It's the center, the hand that holds it through centrifugal force to the middle. And with, this, with that in mind, I wanna suggest a simple practice for this third week of Advent. I wanna suggest you try this um, to help you move from the rim of the wheel and keep your focus on the center of the wheel with Jesus. It's a really simple practice, but this week, here's what I'd like to suggest. At a time during the day that works best for you, take just five or 10 minutes and write down 10 things that you're grateful for. 10 things that you're grateful for each day. You can use a journal, you can write on your computer. A lot of people use their phones now. Just start that little moment, five to 10 minutes, by answering the question, what am I grateful for? Then list it. God, I'm grateful for, they can be small things like the food that you've given me, or they can be larger things like, God, I'm grateful for my job or your unfailing love. But I want, I want you to do that because what you'll notice is that gratitude as you practice it will actually cultivate joy in your life and you'll feel more grateful and joy will grow. And you can watch how you see spending time in the presence of Christ with an attitude of gratitude and thanks will begin to make joy more present in every day. Let's pray. Father, we're really thankful that we can come together and talk about this 
just a beautiful quality that you've given the people of God. Father, everyone around us, regardless of where they are spiritually, experiences some measure of joy, and that's a beautiful thing. And yet, Father, too, you've given us a sense that when we're rooted in Christ, when we've got our eyes focused on him, when we're loving you, Father, when we're following Jesus, when we're trusting the Holy Spirit's work in our life, that we can experience a kind of joy that goes way beyond feelings. And it's a kind of joy that can help us sustain even the very worst of times in our life. And also, it's the kind of joy that can cultivate gratitude. So Father, this week, I pray that you'll help us to be those kinds of people, that you'll help us to experience your grace and in turn, turn it to joy and gratitude in Jesus' name. Amen.